Welcome back to another episode of the Drone of 1K podcast. I'm David Young, your host. Let me tell you a little bit about what to expect in today's episode. Today I'm talking to drone entrepreneur Noah Ruiz. And I met Noah at a drone conference several years ago. We just ran into each other, started talking. We hung out a lot at that conference and we've kept in touch ever since. But I love his story because he's one of the only people I know who has taken his drone business from scratch, hired employees to scale it up, turn it into an actual organization that he then sold, or at least sold large ownership stake into where he could have a nice chunk of money to hold on to, to invest, to do whatever he wanted to do with. So a very cool story if you're thinking about that. We talk about what drones he bought and how they cost tons of money back then, the fields he got into, how he landed different contracts with municipalities and states doing different types of mapping work in the utility field. So if that sounds like something that you want to be in for and listen to, this is your episode. So we're about to dive in. But before I always got to remind you about that shirt. If you want a free soft drone launch shirt, I'm actually not wearing one today. Surprisingly, this is a, a very rare day. But if you want one, just leave us a review uh, on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to hear what people's thoughts are. Get the word out about this podcast for other people. So if you like it, leave us a review, screenshot it, send it to me, david at dronelaunchacademy.com, and we'll get you a free shirt for taking the time to do that. Make sure it's an honest review, not trying to bribe you to leave a good one. All right. With that said, here is the interview with Noah. All right. Welcome to the podcast. I'm here today with Noah Ruiz of Soaring Eagle Technologies. Thanks for coming on, Noah. Hey, yeah, man. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Yeah. I've been wanting to get you on here for a little while. And you and I, we met several years ago at a conference, right? Just kind of ran into each other in Vegas, seen each other around conferences since then. Yeah. 2016. 2016, I think it was maybe. Really? It was it was a while ago, yeah. So I know you've been doing some awesome stuff in the drone space, drone service industry, more than probably most people have because you've got pretty good team. You're good at the business side, the management of it, not just knowing the applications. You were able to grow it. I believe you even had like a transaction, like an acquisition, right? Or at least a partial acquisition, which is really cool to see in this space. Not something that a lot of people have had the experience to be able to go through. So that's great. So yeah, I just want to dive into your story and hear how you got started. So you just want to take it back to the beginning of when you first started using drones? Oh, uh, yeah. So before I started doing anything with drones, you know, I was always fascinated with like robotics and stuff like that. But I was fixing machines. I have kind of a maintenance engineering degree. And I was fixing machines at manufacturing plants, semiconductor plants, data centers, and stuff like that. I was sitting on my couch one day and I saw somebody flying drones and making money. I was like, I could do that. So I started with the easiest thing to do, which was learn how to build business or make businesses, learn about drones, which I had no idea about them. I was just fascinated with them and kind of just figure out how to network into this whole world. Actually, and the guy I saw using this to make money, James Mark Taylor, he's out in Lower North Phoenix. Good friend of mine, Extinger Productions, is a good dude. Helped me along the way. You know, it's kind of how we do it in this industry. We kind of help each other with things, with equipment, because we all have similar equipment and some of us have different equipment. So from that day, I was like, all right, well, that's what I want to do. And then I spent about, I would say, six to eight months understanding what business is and how and how to do it. I um, read a book called the Emits that kind of set me up for success. And then after that, I went and found myself DJI Inspire. And I bought that first DJI Inspire. It was like $4,500 because I thought the legs were, were cool and they, you know, they go up, you know. I was like, oh, that's cool, man. That's, that's definitely different than Phantom going for the cool guy factor. And then I, I started like asking around to some people about, you know, what I could use it for as far as like doing work and taking pictures and videos of their, you know, construction. I have a 
family friend, Alexander Enterprise, who does custom home builds out here in, in Chandler, Arizona. So talk to them and say, hey, can I come take some pictures for you guys? And, you know, I'm not going to charge you anything. I just want to take the pictures, gather some data and start building the website. And like everyone else, like, oh, I can do the website myself. So my talk to my buddy is like, no, I got it. And then all I got was like a countdown timer out. And I was like, all right, that's as far as I can get. Because he's like, well, I can help you. I'm like, no, I can do it. Because that's what us entrepreneurs do, figure everything out ourselves. Same time when I was like, all right, I don't know what I'm doing. I need help. So that's kind of how it all started, right? Like I thought something on news. Like, well, I can do that. that was 2015. That was like April of 2015 when I saw this on the news. It's like, oh, cool, I want to do that. And then I officially opened it up October 1 of 2015. Okay, cool. So you're coming up on what, eight years of doing that? Yeah. Yeah. That's, right. awesome. Massive, right? That's awesome. So you started off doing a little, you know, freebie construction progress stuff. Do you remember when you got your first paying gig as a drone operator? Yeah. Yeah, I do. It was like, you know, how do we price these things? I don't know. I'm just taking pictures and giving to people. It was like $250 for something in town. You know, I took pictures of a big fancy house out in Scottsdale. Not really knowing what I was doing, but I was like, oh, this is a good picture. Oh, this is a good picture. Shortly after 20, like end of 2015, probably uh, a bit later December time frame. So I mean, it's nice here in Arizona all the time, so. Nice. So 2015. And then did you stick to doing that stuff for a while? And like, how did the business grow from there? Like what kind of work were you doing? And were you just kind of flying solo still? Yeah, I was flying solo. Everything was going good. I was still working for the manufacturing plant. So I was still trying to figure out what to do and how to get there. Did you like that job, the um, manufacturing plant? And then, I love that job. Okay. One of my favorite things right now is going to the power plants and just fly a lot of power plants and getting tours of these places mm. because I love machines and I know how manufacturing plants and I know how facilities work and stuff like that. So I'm like, hey, let's go check out all of these things. Show me the pumps. Show me the motors, you know, and show me the vacuum pump, all these things. Because, like, I love that stuff still. Yeah, that's awesome. But it's, it was kind of a good transition into the machine side of stuff. I'm still messing with machines, but different types of machines. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, sorry. I was just curious. Yeah, I have a little robot. He's back there. He hangs out on my desk, but sometimes he interrupts. He, like, runs runs into the side. Does he move around? Yeah. That's cool. He comes alive. He's got little treads on him. He has, like, his little block. That's cool. Interrupted, asked if you liked the machine. You said you were still working at the machine shop. You were kind of doing this on the side and talking about growing from there. Yeah. So it wasn't so much a machine shop. It was a manufacturing right, yes, plant. That was like an acre big semiconductor plant fixing like the machines like chillers, cooling towers, vacuum pumps, you know, vacuum induction melters, all just all kinds of crazy cool big stuff. So yeah, I loved doing that. It wasn't that I hated that job, but I was also like big trying to figure out the drone world on the side. When you're flying, you know, flying drugs and taking pictures of houses. For me, I was like, okay, this is cool, but it's not enough for me. I need more. I started looking at some of the companies that I idolized and some of the people that I idolized and the things they were doing. I was like, okay, cool. Well, I guess what I need to do is if I want to play with the big boys, I got to have the big boy toys. So I started looking at equipment and I found Falcon 8, you know, that Falcon 8, sending technologies Falcon 8, the first one. So, um, no, I'm not super familiar like with that. Of, right. So it's this one right here behind okay. me. That's the Falcon 8. Oh. Intel built. Falcon 8 was a rendition before that that was built by Sunny Technology. Okay. But that thing is like, it was like a 70K purchase, right? So I was going from like $4,500 purchase to 70K purchase. 70? With seven zero 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 zero. Yes. Wow. Seven zero zero zero. But let's take it back a step. So when I started to build the business after noticing that I was only going to get so far flying Inspire, DJI stuff that was, you know, $250, $300 pop and stuff like that. I'm not a cinematographer. That's not my background. Yep. Thing. I, I know like machines and mechanics, stuff like that. 
So I had a meeting at a hotel here. I had actually had three meetings of 10 people. And I had this new game plan to pivot the business into doing infrastructure inspection. Out of these three meetings of 10 people, I think four or five people who were game to take it to the next step, take it to the next level with me. Okay. So we started meeting at a, another office and then I made a purchase of 70K for the Falcon 8 because we had talked to Arizona Department of Transportation to do like a demo of the bridge inspection. Mm. So I was like, all right, well, what better aircraft than a Falcon 8 that has a camera that points straight up? Yeah. So like, we were flying on the bridge taking pictures straight up. That was like a pivotal moment for us. Do I take another loan out to get this thing? Do I sell my vehicle? Yeah. Like, yeah. What do I have to do to take to the next level? So I did it because I'm a big risk taker, but risk reward, you know? So, so I got a quick question. So let's do it. When you said you met with uh, yeah. three groups of 10 people, that was to like get people on your team or those were potential like client meetings? Oh, that was to get people on my team, start building out all the content for anything related to infrastructure inspection. We had no idea. Like I did a little research into like the, there's like a report card, an infrastructure report card that comes out, which is in 2016. That's the one I was looking at. Mm -hmm. And I brought that to the table and was just like, hey, infrastructure is something that needs to be inspected forever. So yep. what, what makes sense for the business is to pivot it from photos and videos and houses to infrastructure. Why not? Now, that makes the most sense. Those four yeah. people, were you just paying them out of your own pocket? Were you kind of like doing something like they're sharing in the business or what was the, how'd you do that? That was me paying them out of my own pocket. Did you, so did you have a bunch of money saved up? Working for, <laughs> it was a risk. It was, it's been hard. It, this is not an easy fit for faint hard. This is, this is hard. Being an entrepreneur is hard. I was making decent money at the, you know, working for a manufacturing client, but like I, I pulled out my 401. I pulled out my, I wow, you went, you pushed all those chips wow. in, man. <laughs> yeah, I did, man. I went all in and I said, all right, if I'm going to do this, I'm going to go big. Wow. Otherwise, I'm just going to go home. So you cashed out your retirement. Mm -hmm. Hired four people, everything. Hired four people, and then bought a seventy thousand dollars drone. Did you have to take out a, a loan for that? How'd you pay for that? That one's a little funny. I don't really want to say the name that of the company I was going through. Mm -hmm. They'll know who they are. They hear this, but they had not provided the support I needed on the solar for the aircraft on seventy k aircraft that I was already like losing demos, trying to set demos up and losing them because I had a problem with the controller. I sent it to him. I said, I need this thing fixed immediately. I didn't hear anything for two or three months from them, and I'm like, months. guys, like this is the biggest. Right, months, right? This is the biggest thing we need in the industry is support. You know, like I need to make phone calls on a Saturday if I'm working a job to whoever at a company and say, I need to help me figure this out right now. Yeah. So they provided me with almost no no support. Of like, I don't want this aircraft. I don't want to do business with you guys. I'm going to find another another company to sell me this aircraft. And luckily for me, I found a local shop called Brand Co Machinery that really like hooked me up and did, did real work with me. Falcon 8 Plus was coming out. So I kind of, and just, the timing turned out to be really, really good for me. So I got in bed with those guys on buying the aircraft from them. It turned out to be Falcon 8 Plus was a 40K instead of a 70K. Okay. So it was the next generation. And so I went and revamped the aircraft. Started getting into like some survey mapping stuff because that's what they, Franklin Machinery was into. You know, they rent out machines to do, mm -hmm. you know, work mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So on top of the infrastructure inspection, having like fuel sensor payload, thermal and the RGB. I've also bought a high-risk camera so that I can support those guys because they've had hooked me up, getting me the aircraft, getting me the support. I can call this guy anytime I need to. He brought me business too. Mm -hmm. So like it was a whole change, change of environment from like these guys suck to these guys are local and they actually care about other local guys like us because yep. the first company was a big, big gigantic company that sells machines. Second company was a little company that just got into drones too. So they were kind of like, hey, let's figure this out together. Yeah. 
So it was a good, another additional pivot to the main pivot. to infrastructure. Yeah. Yeah. It was so, a 40 K drone. Did you buy it from them or did they rent it out to you or how did that work? I bought it. Oh, you did. Okay. So I didn't end up having to, I was planning on financing the 70 K drone, but because of the support issues, I told them to take it back yeah. and you know, they wanted to charge me like a 90% stocking, restocking fee. Like show me on the documentation where I signed this because it wasn't there. And then I'll like, you know, keep it stuff. How much was the restocking fee they wanted to charge you? 19%. Jeez, that's like 15,000 bucks or something like that. Yeah. Restocking like, fee. No, not not going to shelf. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Oh, yeah. Well, hey. Right. And this, granted, these are, I don't know anything about any of this stuff, yeah. right? I know how to read. So I read the documentation. <laughs> I was like, restocking me. I don't see it on this document, but if it's on here, I'll do it. But if it's not like, yeah, where's that coming uh -huh. from? So, What'd they say? They turned in some bad blood, you know? Did you get your money back though? Like, did you not have to pay the restocking fee? I didn't have to pay the restocking fee. Oh, okay, good. I didn't lose any money. Okay, all right. It was tough. It was, it was like, I wouldn't say a difficult decision. I had to think through the process of how I need to make all these things work together. Yeah, you know? right. So, but it, it worked. It was a big gamble, but it worked. Yeah. So you got this 40K drone, team of four people local company who's kind of hooking you up, maybe referring you some jobs. What was kind of your strategy at that point for getting jobs, making money, being able to pay everybody, pay for the drone, all that stuff? Yeah. So we were trying to keep the lights on with, you know, the survey and mapping stuff. It was just, let's do some photogrammetry, let's pull some freaking models for these guys. Because it was also in support of Branco. We were trying to sell more drones for those guys too. Okay. A lot of it was just survey. You know, we did like there's a survey firm down in Tucson who has some plots of land on some mountains. So we'd survey that. It's only a couple acres, you know, but it's $3,000 type job. Yeah. Which got the lights on for us, got me to pay the people that were working with us. We were actively going after RFPs or working on RFPs. And we had one come out from APS, Arizona Public Service, the uh, largest electrical utility uh -huh. being in Arizona. Also the majority stakeholder of the nuclear power plant, Alberti power plant. So they had an RFP coming out. So we're like, all right, well, here's our chance. You know, so even though the survey and mapping was more money than taking photos of houses and stuff like that, we were trying to go. Got the big dog toys. So after the big dog so we put up a real good case on the rfp we actually went up against precision hawk on this rfp four people with let's say one hundred and ten thousand dollars invested in this company mm -hmm. and going up against precision hawk 110 million dollar you know <laughs> invested you know yeah so i was kind of like i was like well the only thing i can do is the best thing the best job i can do right. so we won the rfp against them. you won the rfp so and, we won it. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah. So it was like a huge win for us. Now, this is like 2018 when it officially came out that we won. And there's a couple other companies tied to this, you no know, RFP too, but we were one of two other companies that were tied to it. Sure. So it's a huge win for us, right? And and now we have the ability to start bidding on different projects inside of APS, uh. which kind of, I wouldn't say it changed the game. It's been a really long, you know, process that, as any or anybody here knows, like sales cycles for like silly, silly firms are long i mean this this rp was an 18 month sales cycle wow just when the rp out right 18 months that's why we need to do some mapping and stuff that's not even getting paid support. yeah yeah that's all the work we put in it just to get get a here signature here you go you can you can work with us you yeah know? i feel like that's a pretty like that's just like a big company thing it's like there's just so many moving parts it takes a while to do anything anytime we've worked with a big company it's like even on a simple thing, it's like six months minimum. That's true. It's true for these larger companies. And even for some of the small jobs that we have, 
with this with APS now or Apollo Verde, that's three to six months to dial something in, and then now we can do some type of work with yeah. a little project or something like that. So how much did that name of the game, right? Yeah. That that initial RFP you got now was that for a specific job or was that just they was wanted a vendor for future jobs? It was uh, become a vendor for future jobs. Okay. Once you got in, like the first job you did with them, what are we talking here in terms of revenue? Like how much? How significant was it to your business? It was a few. It was like under twenty k. Oh really? I mean, it's bigger than the other jobs you've been bringing in, though, right? It's it's it was twenty k over uh, four quarters worth of work out of like two days of work each quarter. So, okay. I mean, it wasn't huge, but it was a foot in the door. And the, and yeah. let me, let's, let's also take another step back before we got the RFP. So we couldn't have done any of that stuff if we didn't go do any case study work with Mapapache Electric Cooperative. So I went to this, this symposium in Prescott for mapping and GIS, right? And I ran into this lady who now looked at her badge and said she worked for Mapapache Electric Cooperative. So I was like, hey, what are you doing at the symposium? She's like, I'm looking for somebody to talk to me about drones. I was like, yeah, that's me. Hello. <laughs> I didn't know. Nice to meet you. We put a game plan together where we did inspections on transmission towers. We did inspections on distribution. We flew two substations. We shot thermal on it. And then we also flew solar field. And I believe we, yeah. And then we mapped their headquarters because they wanted to design and build more stuff on. So like this a was lot. a moment for us. Yeah. It's like, all right, we're going to go up. We spent the week up there. Uh, I rented an Airbnb up there for me and my people. We spent the week up there just gathering all of the data day after day and then we built a case study on it and we used that information and those images and all that content to get us to the next step which was winning the rfp uh with APS. Yeah. so it's like we built a bit a good case against precision hawk because we went and worked our asses off as four dudes five dudes five people trying to get this you know this case study work put together now did you do that for free because you were planning on trying to do a case study or did they were you, did yeah. you get paid for yeah it? that was that was that was another free free run for it so we were like, we'll come and do all this inspection stuff because the goal was to be able to get work from them later down the road. You know, like the goal yeah. for any project we do is to do all the asset inspection. You know, it's tough to get do it for free, but in my mind, it made the most sense because the value that we were providing for them was up there and the value that we were gaining from it because you can't just go and fly assets without permission from really right. any. Right. It's kind of like when you don't have a proven track record and something sometimes you just got to eat it up front to be able to say oh we did this giant project for so-and-so and now it takes you up a level in someone's mind it's like oh they're not just randos here with a drone you know what i mean like actually yeah have i didn't experience. just buy a buy a drone get a part one seven call myself an inspector you know yeah so right I, right so what's good for me is i also had this experience because i was doing inspections on machines and i knew how to use thermal and i was a certified thermographer i know what i'm looking at when i'm looking at stuff and i know mechanics i understand how electrical systems work i understand these things so that was yeah. a huge win for for us but it was also really good to be able to like fall back onto the education i had and understand how many use this tool up here instead of down here you know right it's a good example of you know deciding to go into business just thinking through all right, what am I already good at? How does that kind of align with what I can, you know, do with the drone? And, you know, so it kind of gives you a good advantage over other people. Yeah. That were looking the, at the, same the, stuff. Whole, the whole business part was hard too, you know, because I started this business, I put a business plan, I met with a place, it's a nonprofit or an organization organization called SCORE in Arizona. I think they're all yep. over the front area. Have you heard of them? Yeah. They're like the small business consulting yeah. type guys. Yeah. So I, I met with them at the library, Chandler Library, uh, on a Wednesday night for an hour for like 
four weeks with a little old lady named Vicky Brush. And I brought her my business plan. She was like, this is terrible. And she shot it down <laughs> every time. And, but sorry, I appreciate stuff like that. She made me get way better, you know? And then she's like, okay, cool. Now we have a good business plan. How are you going to fund this thing? I was like, well, besides my cash, like I should probably look for investors if I'm really trying to take it to the next level. So I built out financial plans and stuff like that. So she brought a guy in or financial advisor in, and he shot yeah, down yeah. financial plans down for four weeks in a row too. So like I was going through this, like, did I do the right thing? Beat my head against the wall. Yeah. I don't know what I'm doing, but kind of like built some, some toughness for understanding. Like, I don't know anything. That's kind of where like the business kind of got dialed in more. And then yeah, after yeah. that, I was like, all right, well, I'm at a point that I need more help. So I went to Chandler Innovation Incubator. And they're here in downtown Chandler too. And they helped me just take it value proposition canvas, you know, and all these things that I had no idea about because Vicky Brush and those folks just helped me with financial plans and business plans. And these other people, Chandler Innovation Incubator brought me up to a whole nother level that I didn't even know existed. And luckily for me, I had already read the emails. So a lot of stuff they were teaching and the, core ho- the cohorts I went through were about you know the emit and stuff like that and i graduated from their cohort and uh i got a i was gonna say for people who aren't as familiar with that book you want to just give a brief breakdown of what the emit is and kind of the core piece of the book that you're referring to i'm gonna tell you the main takeaway that i got from it that i try to pass on to other people so what it helped me understand is how to build a system dependent business over a, a people dependent business Right. So if it's a system dependent business, we now have documentation to fall back on to so that if, if you can read, you can hire somebody who can read, they can come and pick up this document, read the document and know how to do their job, as opposed to having all the knowledge of my business up here and only me. So if something happens to me or if I go away, all that knowledge goes with me. And I think that was a huge piece of how I got to even a, a different level in my business of having this documentation. Like the documentation for us was SMS, SOPs, GOMs, checklists, flight briefs, risk assessments, like this whole package of, of flight operations manual is the documentation we created so that we had a system dependent business. And we would do everything from like the maintenance on an aircraft to all the way down to like what tool you're going to use to for this specific nut or for this specific screw, what tool you're going to use to be able to tighten it and how tight you should tighten it and what other like liquids or materials or any, any of that stuff that you would need to, to do the maintenance on the aircraft. So like uh. I've learned that from just my education and fixing machines and stuff like that. It was like, well, where's my tool list? To fix this machine. EMIF is what taught me, really told me about system dependent businesses. I think that sums it up in my mind. Yeah. I, I read it a long time ago, but the main thing I remember they talk about like the baker, you're really good baker, but you're, if you're always the one baking pies and not actually working on the business, you know, if you get sick or you go on vacation, the business grinds to a halt. But if you take a step back instead of being a technician and you, like you said, you're building those systems to bring people in, here's how we bake our pie. Here's how we do this. You can have people come and go. You can even take a break and the business doesn't grind to a halt. Yeah. Yeah. You got an entrepreneur, you got your technician, you got your manager, you know, and yeah. pretty much two, everyone's two of them. Sometimes I feel like I'm three because I'm also a technician, but I can manage the shit out of some stuff. Right. And then uh, I'm still an entrepreneur. Like I am an entrepreneur at heart. I've always have been since I can ever remember. I didn't really know what it was and knew how to spell it for such a long time. I feel like uh, I should read that, reread that one. It's a great book. I went through, I read it and I, I highlighted a lot of parts. So I actually picked it up and kind of go through it when I help a lot of people build businesses and just try to understand things about business and a different mindset that they may have. So I reference that book a lot. I buy people that book if they're starting a business. 
And then I'll break it out and be like, hey, like here's the things you need to think about if you want to, you know, build this thing right and you want to create a legacy to leave behind, this is how you're going to want to do it. Make it so that anyone can do this job. Yeah, it's a great book, great resource. Let's dive back into your business for a sec. So you got the stuff going with the electrical company, you did that demo, or you guys, I guess you did the case study. You got those jobs you're building from there. What about where are we in the time frame of your story and kind of where does it go from there? I think we're 2018, 2019. So 2019, we're kind of just swimming in, you know, some survey mapping stuff, still trying to get some of the bigger projects with APS, but it was hard. We got a, there was a roadblock put in place with an enormous amount of insurance that we were required mm -hmm. to have. And it's kind of a roadblock to stop the whole program, but it's like, all right, well, I'll just go buy the, buy the insurance we need. And then got around that roadblock. But because of that, it stopped a lot of progress with APS. So 2020, you know, people were asking me, Hey, are you ever going to sell this business? And I'm like, nah, I'm never going to sell this business. You know, it's like, that's, Baby, right? And then had somebody from uh, Houston reaching out to me on LinkedIn. It's kind of like pushing me away, or I was pushing them away. I've had a lot of investors reach out and ask me, Hey, we want to invest in your business. And I'm like, Well, I don't need capital. I don't want to just get capital and sit on capital. I need like strategic investors, like helping get it to the next level. I need like some information. I need some mentorship. Capital is great, but like I need someone to bring me contracts. We finally I got a phone call and it was this, this guy from Houston. And he's like, You know what? Like, What's up? Like, man, I've been trying to get a hold of you. I want to do a partnership. I want to talk to you about building a partnership. Could you work in electrical utility space also? He's like, and I can bring you some contracts. And I was like, all right, what do you need me to do? He's like, well, can you fly to Houston? So I was like, all right, yeah, space my hotel and my car and, and my food. So I flew to Houston, hashed it out, talked about it, told them about the business and where it's going. Mind you, this is 2020, I guess, right? When some things were getting a little crazy in the world. And the business, you know, all businesses struggle, I think, at that point. Like, what what will we do next? So in order for me to help continue to make the business work, I picked up a teaching job at Arizona State University, teaching the drone program. So I kind of went in there and revamped the curriculum to more of an uh -huh. operational. They have a really great engineering program for drones at the Tempe campus. But this was at the Polytech campus, and they didn't have a real great uh, operational background they had some building skills that they had set aside to for students to build drones and test them out but me and some of the students went through and revamped the curriculum to make it more operational heavy so that students who were this is a aviation based school at polytech who was really into getting pro private pilot's license for students and whatnot and they have a pilot uh -huh. program and so the drones were kind of just on a, like a side thing like oh yeah take this elective or whatever so when right. we went in there and kind of redid the curriculum just stated where you go from zero to a hundred so we went we built the drone we programmed everything we flew it we landed it then we put a camera on and got that set up then we taught them how to do different types of flight patterns and then we taught them how to do mapping patterns and then do inspection and then kind of walk them through everything from nothing to being able to do a full operational flight with building a data set and providing a deliverable so that now you see it from start to finish. And then also you have like surveys, you have mapping, you have infrastructure inspection, you have thermal. You have some people that were interested in doing ag stuff. You had some people who are interested in just using a flight simulator to get hours so that they could go into the military with training hours on a flight simulator. So I kind of positioned it to where, like, here's all the stuff. What interests you the most? Let's follow that path the whole way and then build certificates for you. So now you have a certificate in doing photogrammetry. 
Uh, not saying that I'm a photogrammetrist, like teaching you the ways, but like, here's a way that you can do it. And here's a certificate saying right. that you've right. done it before that you can go to a company and say, no, I know what overlap is. And I know what GSD is. And I know how, I know about cameras and how to make them work to do some type of mapping. Oh, I know I, right. I've, I can read what a thermal image looks like. I'm not a thermographer, but I can definitely tell you like, hey, there's a qualitative assessment. There's something wrong with this thing here. So we did the curriculum. So it was more beneficial for the students as they ended their careers at ASU and got into something. So that, yeah, it's awesome. that going on. Yeah, it was very, the very beginning of the the craziness of the world. It's also good to know. I also help Unmanned Vehicle University, which could be Stampede, right? There's like the offset of Stampede. We talked yeah. uh, a couple of companies how to slide down to do with different types of inspections on roofs and cell towers and stuff like that. So I was kind of like using that stuff to help pay for some of the bills at the house and also pay for people who are working with us. So we, you know how companies go, you get them coming in. Oh, yeah. Going out, you know, there's a flow. So at times, there was like two people. At times, there were six people. Sometimes it was just me. I've had one guy who stuck with me the whole time, so I was always looking out for him. All these things led up to 2020, and then I went out to Texas. We built a term sheet, and then within three months, we had a term sheet signed, and I had uh, sold a portion of my company to a holdings company out of Texas who had a vegetation and growth stamp and vegetation audit company that we were planning on getting in bed with so that now we can use our technology to help those guys do their job quicker and safer by using drones to do the work and then having the algorithms go and do the inspections off the images. So how much of your company did you sell? 70%. 70. Okay. So you still have some? Yeah. Yeah. So this is 2020, sold 70%. We hired another BDR and a few other SDRs and then started building out case cases for more mapping because those mapping and survey work kind of what keeps the lights on you know because like as, as mentioned the sales cycle for electrical utility alarm and it's, yeah. it's you know, like we can call it seasonal base you ramp up to service a project that two or three months and then you're like sorry guys you know we don't have any more work for you so goodbye not a bad thing because that's just the way yeah. that this whole game works but for us to keep our people on board we wanted to fill a backfill with mapping and survey type work because that's a constant thing that we can get we can get it all over the country too so 2021, we bought a BB loss aircraft from Census Technology. We flew, we started doing some testing with BB loss aircraft, and then we applied for a BB loss waiver. And in 2021, uh, Skynet West is the old, the oldest company that I built, received a, a waiver to fly BB loss with a three mile radius in Florence, Arizona. Now we're like, Okay, we all know this is the whole grail, the whole thing. So, and for real quick, for some people, if they're listening, they're not sure what BB loss is, describe it real quick. Well, BB loss is beyond visual line of sight. It's basically stating that you have a waiver from the FAA allowing you to fly this aircraft farther than you can see it. There is, in, in this specific waiver, we were limited to three miles out, so three mile radius. I don't know if some of you guys have seen an aircraft fly at two miles, but like once you're at like 125 and it's a small aircraft, it's kind of gone. This is a big aircraft, yeah. 90 inch wingspan. So at one and a half miles, you're, you're hoping like when it makes a turn, you're like, oh yeah, I got it. But after that, it's <laughs> not. Now you're just flying off a computer and we have a mobile operation in our mobile command center. It's a trailer that has servers and stuff like that. So it's the only way we were able to fly BB losses having this MOC fly out of. And those things are not cheap. I went and toured because they're not far from here. The census, they're like you are two hours away. Actually texted you because I was at their headquarters and they're showing us their wall of waivers. And I was like, Noah Ruiz, I know that guy. And I'm like, what? I didn't realize Which you had one of those this Which one was that? Which waiver was Which that? Which waiver? Oh, yeah. I don't remember. I saw a few on the wall. Didn't you have? Do you have more than one, or did they just put it up yeah. there more than once? 
No, we have a few. So yeah. 2021, we re- received our BV loss waiver. Started doing- what was, you got a three mile waiver. Was that for like a specific job site or was that just kind of like tested out in that area? That was, so our goal, so how the way, a lot of these waivers are coming out where they're geo constrained, right? So this, we're dedicated only allowed to fly in this specific area and sparsely populated or no population, if you want to call it that. And it was for us to test the capability of the aircraft, test the telemetry and all the things involved with it. One way we could get a mile and a half away, the other way we can get three miles out. So that was all dependent on terrain and stuff. So we were doing different ways we set our antennas, how we had the antennas on the aircraft, just all different things. We were doing different takeoff and landings, different sorties we wanted to get like get over 250 sorties so that we can come to the FA and say, hey, we want to expand this area to five miles so we can mm. do some more testing, or we wanted to apply for another location. So all of this, all the testing we did in that location allowed, and mind you, this is Arizona in the summertime. And at this time, uh, we didn't have the MOC yet. We were flying out of the table. We got a box fan, and we had a box fan blowing on us. We had a table. We got one of those cool things that you can like, you know what I'm yeah. talking about? Yeah. We got one mm-hmm. of those, put the antenna on top of that thing, raise it up, put it under the tent, and it's fine. <laughs> so like, that's awesome. Send it, right? So that's where we started doing it out there. It's hot. So the goal was to get the sorties and flights in place and say, hey, our track record of flying this thing this many times has shown success for us to be able to apply for areas that may have a little bit more population or in different types of environments. So this was in the desert, and then we had applied for a place in Payson, which is higher in the mountains. It's about 5,000, 4,000, 5,000 degrees. So we wanted to test there. During this time, though, we we as a company, Skynet West and the, the holdings company, we were like, uh-huh. okay, well, we're going to build out this BB loss thing. Let's talk to some other people. We may or may not have flown BB loss. We have a little bit more knowledge than me because I'm flying the three-mile radius. Some people have flown to other places for storm and stuff and stuff like that. We found a company called Soaring Eagle Imaging of Mississippi, and I talked to Will Payton. I said, hey, let's talk about some BB loss stuff. So we hashed it out. We come to find out, you know, he's a military dude also. You know, I was an infantryman, and he, he flies Blackhawks. So I was like, I was pretty gnarly. Like, you fly the helicopters that I used to get out of when I did my work. Like, we had that pretty solid connection. So we talked. Hashed it out and said, all right, this is good. So I talked to my people at the parent company and said, hey, you know, if we really want to do this thing bigger and take it to the next level, I think we should talk about like merging with these guys. We ended up merging, firing and merging with Soaring Legal Imaging and then rebranding both companies to become Soaring Legal Technology. Now this gave us headquarters in Houston, operation center in Arizona, operation center in Mississippi. We divided the two, we divided the country up by the river. Mississippi River, and I, I run everything on this side of the country, and our director of operations runs everything on that side of the country. So now we merged cool. with these guys, so now we're storing Eagle Technology, and I said, hey, you know, so we already had a BB loss waiver. They did not have a BB loss waiver, but they formed BB loss on the SGI, the special government interest, you know, flights that they can yep. do pre-storm response, and they actually flew a 52-mile run BB loss with the loss aircraft. Yeah, at this time after a hurricane, so they had experience. How did they go that far? I think they had their own ways to do it. It could have been hot scotch and it could have been a few different things, you know. Okay. So, fifty-two miles, twenty-five. Uh, is that twenty-one, twenty-six out, twenty-six back, something like that? Right. That, okay. Wow. You know, they had experience doing it, so we we're like, okay, well, let's let's take let's take it to the next level. So we merged. I said, all right, here's the game plan. Let's let's really do this BB loss thing right while 
you know, being able to serve survey and mapping and then still do infrastructure inspection. What came along with the, with those guys was AEP and Entergy and stuff like that. So some bigger electrical utility firms on that side of the country that they've already uh-huh. worked for. So now we're this nationwide company servicing electrical utility firms that have experience in that, also have experience in mapping. So they were focused more on storm response electrical utility uh, and a little bit of uh, mapping. And then we were doing a lot of mapping and a little bit of electrical utility. And then both of us had the common interest of doing big loss stuff. It was a good fit. Everyone on that side of the country is just like down to earth, really, really good, solid individuals. Now we have two places. We have now have two BB Lost aircraft and two MOCs. And, but Arizona is the only place with the waiver. So we went and applied for a waiver in Basin in the mountains so that we can now test the different flights over different terrains, right? Figure out how right. that's going to work for us. Put a bunch of sorties in. And then the, the goal here was to get a non geo constrained waiver. We flew the shit out of some BB Lost aircraft, right? In, in the desert and in the mountains. We put together a really solid base. You get a non-geo-constrained waiver, and then big last year or recently we received a non-geo-constrained BB loss waiver that allows us to fly anywhere in the country. Wow, nice! Does it have any other like stipulations on it? There's some stipulations. It's a performance-based risk assessment, and we have to look at population density. So, last year's base population density is a few things that come into play with it, but yeah, you wouldn't want to fly BB loss over house anyway. But you know, it yeah. allows us to like take it to the next level. You know, that's awesome. Well, that yeah. unlocks a lot so of possibilities for you that other companies, you know, don't have and so won't many. for a while. Because now you can map large pieces of land, right? So here's some here's something we found out. Like, you know, we're all we're watching LinkedIn and stuff, and people are like, "Oh, I just flew this, you know, one thousand acres over the sports." It's like, well, when you can't see the aircraft, that's essentially baby loss. Like, that's what baby loss is beyond yeah. visual sight. You can't see it. So, how did you fly that if you don't have a baby loss waiver, right? I'm not going to go and call the FAA and be like, hey, this guy is, you know, flying baby loss. But right. like, those are the things that set us apart from other people. So we take those things into consideration. We're like, there's trees here. That's a BB loss flight. Let's do the paperwork to do it right so that we can conduct this flight safely, right? Because that's mm-hmm. how you make your headway in this industry is doing things right. Well, and if you're working for another company too, and you know, you don't, they don't want to be hiring you if you're going to be breaking rules and being a liability for them. Yeah. I mean, this, this is the rising tides thing. You know, we're, we're all industry advocates. Everyone that's part of this industry should be an industry advocate trying to build this industry up so that we can all make it together. That's the way I see it. Not everyone sees it that way, but I'm not a cutthroat person. And if any of the people that are listening need our help from anywhere around the country with aircraft or information or training, like reach out, man. I'm I'm here to help. So now we have this non-geo trade DV loss waiver. We can fly larger plots of land to do mapping because now we can fly 2,000, 2,500 acres of land because we can, we're allowed to fly this aircraft where we can't see it. We can fly transmission towers, linear infrastructure inspection. We can fly that stuff and do more inspections quicker. We can do more vegetation encroachment audits, right? Because now we can fly this aircraft further than we can see it. And, and vegetation encroachment audit, break that down real quick. What is so that? So the right-of-ways over the transmission lines around the transmission lines, there's a lot of vegetation growing into, encroaching in on the power lines and even in distribution. So right now there's a, a few companies out there that are currently boots on ground, walking the lines, notating, auditing the vegetation that's growing into this area. And now we can use LIDAR units to fly over it or just imaging to take pictures and get the same notation that the arborists are doing off of I'm sure you can do it in like a super fraction of the time that they're spending out there walking if they're going by hand. Yeah. Right. And then the labor 
course, there's so many different things that are useful. And I think a lot of people are always worried about like the drones taking over, taking people's businesses. Well, what I tell them is like, you got to get on board or get out of the way, you know, because like if yeah. you're smart about it, you're going to get on board and use the technology to your benefit and keep your job or you can be there, sit there and be angry and then watch your job go away. It's like back when accounting software came out for computers, they used to literally tabulate stuff by hand, like keep books and records like by hand. Okay, we spent this much money minus this. They still have bookkeepers and accountants today. They just use computers to do it a hundred more times than they could do it before. So if you just don't want to learn how to use a computer, I mean, people would think that that's crazy now. Oh, you don't want to learn how to use a computer for your job, right? But it's the same thing. It's like, you're not, I don't want to adapt to technology. It's like, well, it's going to happen whether you like it or not at some point. The train is coming through, so get out of the way. Well, I've kept you on here for a little while. I really appreciate you walking through the whole story. It was a long history. I think it's really cool for people on here to hear somebody, you know, we have all sorts of people on this podcast. Some people doing enterprise stuff, making a few hundred K a year down to, I just started flying my drone three months ago now making a, you know, a grand or two a month. Here's what I've learned kind of thing. So it's always nice to get people like you on here who have been in the industry a long time, done so much to even have like done a acquisition, you know, getting acquired and still being in there and merging with other companies and flying big platforms, doing beyond visual line of sight. It's just can show people, Hey, here's where the industry is going. Here's what's possible. So I really appreciate you sharing all that. And I'm sure you will open up a can of worms by offering your tips and advice out to people. So because people will hit you every time people come on this podcast, they always tell me, people are reaching out to me afterwards. So for that, if people do want to ask you questions or just say, thanks for being on here, what would be the best way for them to like check your stuff out or get a hold of you? Instagram, um, email, what do you think? I think LinkedIn is probably LinkedIn. the best way to get a hold of me if you want to chat. LinkedIn what, is a good place what, to find me. We'll link up your LinkedIn on the episodes so people want to connect with you there, they can hit you up there. I appreciate you doing this chat with me and thanks for your time.